Well, we're here today. We are building for God's kingdom. And today we look at the quality of meekness as found in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 through 10. It's that famous part of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And it is building for God's kingdom. So let's read God's word, Matthew 5, 1 through 10. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sisters and brothers in in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray again. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to get together, to hear your word and to talk about it together. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I was thinking about meekness this morning and Jesus being a king, the king of kings. I thought about how that pertains maybe to to earthly kings and queens. And I, I was thinking of the fact that Claire and I, we don't watch a lot of like series on TV, but one thing we've been doing is watching uh, the series The Crown, which is on Netflix. And we've really uh, enjoyed that. And have you been watching The Crown or have watched that? So we caught up just recently with the end of season two. Now, this is a series about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip in England and their whole family. And the first two seasons take place between about the 1940s and the early 1960s. And in the show, as you could guess, there's much pomp and circumstance. It's very regal. It's very majestic. Uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip have almost everything done for them in the show, including a scene, which I found a little awkward, where Prince Philip was actually having his valet dress him, put his pajamas on before he went to bed. Now, I thought, would I like that? Maybe. No, probably not. I don't think I really want anybody helping me put my pajamas on before bed, but I'm, I'm guessing that actually happened or happens. In another scene, which I thought was very interesting, there's a guest coming to apologize to the queen for some of the remarks she had made publicly, and the queen knows this, and so she makes her guest uh, come to Windsor Castle to kind of make a show of force, uh, to make a point to her guest that you really shouldn't speak out against the queen, and she had made some ugly remarks. So in the, in the show, the, uh, the guest has to come to Windsor Castle. Win- Windsor Castle is very impressive. So there's a picture of the lead up to Windsor Castle. And this may look familiar. This is uh, the, the route that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle took to Windsor Castle after their wedding, if you happen to see that. I know my wife watched that wedding. But this is truly the path that her guest had to take back in the early 1960s. Then her guest had to walk a long way inside to find the queen in a drawing room for tea. Now, this is actually a drawing room in Buckingham Palace, but it looked very much like the drawing room. And so imagine just setting up a very small table with tea for two people in a room like this, knowing that you were coming to apologize to the queen. So I thought about how does that compare to Jesus? If Jesus talks about being humble and meek, 
And I thought about what might it have looked like at the Sermon on the Mount, the passage where we read today. And this is one of the places in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, where we know about where it took place. And so the Sermon on the Mount took place on, the, on a hillside right outside the north, kind of north and west side of the Sea of Galilee. And it was, there's a church there today called the Church of the Beatitudes. But back then it was just a hillside. And so it looked probably like this. This is an actual hillside on uh, the Sea of Galilee looking down onto the sea, probably kind of from, again, the north and west side. So imagine Jesus sitting there. And did Jesus have a, uh, a throne to sit in like a Queen Elizabeth would when she would receive guests very formally? No, he did not. In fact, he said in Matthew 5.1 that he sat down in front of his disciples. And I, just, I think it's fun to, to juxtapose, I wanted to use that word this morning, between what it might look like and when we think about earthly kings and queens and what Jesus looked like when he sat down with his people at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, our king, is meek, gentle, humble. And in this passage in Matthew 5, he calls us to be so as well. Well, in this series, as we've talked about building for God's kingdom, I think meekness and humility are kind of going to be uh, common themes when we talk about who Jesus is and what he wants for us. Two weeks ago, Jerry talked about that the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which was the smallest seed, but then which grew into a tree. But actually, it's more of a shrub. And so it's not a grand picture. It's not a grand tree. It's a mustard shrub. And so, again, the kingdom is humble. Last week we read in Revelations chapter 5 that uh, John thought he would see uh, Jesus coming in his vision of heaven as a roaring lion. But actually when he looked up, he saw a little lamb. And actually it was a, it was a frightening picture because he saw a lamb that was slaughtered. It symbolizes that Jesus came as a lamb uh, to give his life so that we too might have life. Jesus showed great humility and meekness. And yet we see, even in Revelation 5, that all the creatures are bowing down, falling down uh, before the king, before the lamb, to offer uh, him their worship. Well, back to Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus is talking his disciples. Most scholars think this sermon is probably not just a sermon, but a collection of the teachings of Jesus. In fact, there's a verb in there which leads us to believe that this is a collection of teachings that Matthew wrote down. And when it says that Jesus sat down, the readers would understand, the Jewish readers, that when a, a rabbi or a teacher would sit down, this is the classic posture of a teacher. So in our college campuses today, we might see a, a teacher or someone like me stand up to teach. And there setting a teacher when he was ready to teach his disciples would sit down. And so they knew he was getting ready to do teaching. Some scholars think Jesus is describing in these 10 verses what he thought his followers would look like, uh, uh, who they are, more than telling them and us today as we think about it, more than prescribing what they do. In fact, Jesus was describing what he thought his followers would look like more than prescribing what they should do. So we see this passage and the people in the passage, as you think back of all the verses that it said, people who need God, people who turn to God in need, and people who are blessed. It says these are people who mourn, 
who are poor in spirit. They are meek. They are merciful. They give mercy to others. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. And they're persecuted. And so if we want to be people who are also meek, uh, we need to be people like this who, who desperately seek out God, uh, who live out these kinds of things in our lives. If we view ourselves in a right position before God, and Liz prayed this in our prayer, that, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need God to save us, to help us, uh, to guide us, to use our gifts and abilities so that we can follow him. And when we follow him, then we are blessed as it says so many times in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you who do these things, who are these kinds of people. To, meek is to, cl- to be meek is to climb down the ladder of success instead of climbing up the ladder of success. Why do we climb down? We climb down to see what is below. We climb down to help those who are beneath us, maybe to give them a hand up. Why is meekness a descriptor of God's kingdom? Well, we worship not a queen or a king here on earth, as we saw some pictures of what that might look like, but a king of kings. And yet the king of kings calls us to be meek. The same word that is used for meek uh, in the Greek language is the same word that is used in Matthew eleven twenty nine. And in that verse, Jesus is describing himself, and it's translated there as gentle and humble. So when we think about meek, sometimes in today's world, we think, oh, that's someone who's really weak. That's someone who, uh, who has great weakness. And, and in fact, Jesus described it as someone who is gentle and humble. And in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says he wants to give his people rest, help them find rest for their souls. So we see worldly kings and queens like Queen Elizabeth who are victorious, uh, regal, majestic, and powerful. We see God's kingdom on here on earth, how Jesus led, that he served, that he put others first, that he was meek, and by doing so, he turned things upside down. So we can describe God's kingdom really as an upside down kingdom. And I don't know if this was the first way it was described, but there was a book written many years ago. It was called The Upside Down Kingdom by an author named Donald Craybill. And Craybill in the book shows how the kingdom of God announced by Jesus appeared as an upside down kingdom. It went against what a lot of people were expecting what the Messiah would be like. It went against what we would think kings and queens would want things to be like. It goes against almost all of those things. In the book, and I think this is a great phrase, Crable says, Jesus wins by serving and triumphs by losing. Jesus wins by serving and triumphs by losing. Well, we know he serves. What's it mean to triumph by lose? By dying, he gives life. And then as he rose again, he showed that he defeated death. So he triumphs by losing so that we can live. In his life, Jesus hung out with people like the ones described in the Sermon on the Mount. He calls tough young fishermen. Most of his disciples were very young men, uh, probably kind of gritty, uh, rough on the edges. Many of them were fishermen to be his disciples. He calls tax collectors to follow him. He calls those men and women who failed in relationships to follow him. He forgives people we see over and over again who've been caught in sin, sometimes very publicly, and he forgives them. He heals those who are sick. 
even those who are beggars on the side of the road or places like the pool of Bethesda. He heals those who are lepers that are outcasts, even reaching out to touch them when people knew not to touch them. These people are all part of Jesus' kingdom on earth. One scholar gives an example of what a meek person uh, would look like in Jesus' parable in Luke 18. And I think this is a great example of being meek. So I'm going to do my best to be like the Pharisee and the tax collector in this story. So this is from Luke 18. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee was a religious leader, oftentimes a leader in their culture and in the society. The Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Jesus says the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, those who exalt themselves, the Pharisee, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, like the tax collector, will be lifted up. Again, it's upside down. Those in the culture of that day would think the Pharisee is the one who's the leader. He's the one who's in power. He's the religious leader. He's the one we should look up to. And the tax collector is the one who we despise, who takes our money. And yet, when, when Jesus gives this as a parable of how they pray, how they talk to God, even how they view themselves before God, he exalts, he lifts up the tax collector who shows, who merely prays that he has a great need for God. This is meekness. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. That's a, it's an incredible thing to think about. The meek will inherit the earth. What's that look like? Well, the scholar N.T. Wright says about that, that the meek will inherit the earth. He says, the idea that the meek will inherit the earth is astonishing to most people in most cultures who expect that it will be the pushy, the arrogant, the bossy, the power brokers, the bullies who will grab the earth and inherit it for themselves. No, says Jesus, in God's world, things work the other way up. The word meek stands at the heart of that claim. Well, what does it mean to inherit the earth? It means that one day the meek will be in charge. I, I heard recently, I think it was on a radio a show that I was listening to, said the nerds will rule the earth. Now, I, I can probably say that because I was a little nerdy growing up. I could say that. I, I love to study. I love my books and everything. But I think it, it, it makes us feel that, that those who are smart oftentimes end up in charge. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Those who are like him, those who follow him, who show a need for God, will receive mercy. They will inherit the earth. So what are things that we can do to be meek? For many of us around here, we are people that are not uh, powerless. For many of us in Zionsville, Carmel, on the north side of Indianapolis, are people who have means, who are leaders in our communities. And I'm not putting that down at all. I think that's wonderful. It's a great gift to be people who are in leadership. But it may be more challenging for us, people who have good jobs, who have places of leadership, who have means, 
to be meek in the way that Jesus talks about it because oftentimes he's describing these people who are poor in spirit, who are persecuted, who know desperately that they need Jesus. What are some things then that we can do to be meek? First, we can listen. We can listen. I think it's simple and important. A friend of mine does a lot of study on leadership in business. He talks a lot about listening. He says that traditional wisdom in business is to direct and to tell. Direct and to tell. Leaders direct people and they tell people what to do. But he says that scholars now are finding that listening is more important, that you gain influence with employees. Managers gain influence with employees when they listen. There's a famous saying that's been used in a lot of contexts, I know, in spiritual contexts and in business contexts. It goes something like this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. A way for caring is listening. What appears in the business world or leadership to be weak is actually powerful to listen to others. This friend shared an article out of the Harvard Business Review, and in the article it says about the power of listening that sometimes leaders see three obstacles to listening. I'd like to share those with you briefly. He says, one is a perceived loss of power. They think sometimes managers, those in power, think if they listen, they might be looked upon as weak. But actually, uh, studies find that being a good listener increases respect. It increases respect of the leader to the employee, and it increases respect from the employee to the manager or the leader. Listening takes much time and effort. We live in a busy world where we we often feel we don't have much time, but listening is an investment. Managers and leaders must put in time to listen, and although they are very busy, it benefits leaders to listen. And third is a fear of change. High-quality listening can be risky because it means entering a speaker's perspective without trying to make judgments. This could lead to change, change in the way we think or change in the way that we lead. The article says that several managers reported that when they tried listening to employees who they confronted about poor attendance, so those who were poor attendance or becoming late, they learned these employees were struggling with supporting a family member, maybe a wife dying of cancer or a sibling with a mental disability. And as Christians who are often powerful in our parts of our communities, we are called to lead. But Jesus calls us to lead by example. And one of the ways, one of the first examples we can give as leaders, people who are in leadership or in any relationships we have in our families, our neighbors, wherever that is, is to be good listeners. How can we be good listeners? Here's what some experts say about good listening. There's a couple of ideas up here. Number one, Give 100% of your attention. Try to be present in the moment with whoever you're with and listen well. Second, do not interrupt. Do not interrupt. Third, don't judge. Fourth, don't impose your solutions. So don't interrupt. Don't judge. Just listen and don't impose your solutions. And then ask more questions. Ask follow-up questions to understand more. Listen to understand, understand. Don't just listen to reply. So when we listen with humility and with meekness, we give respect to others 
and it shows value to others. So first, uh, we can listen to be meek. Second, we can spend time with those who are like the people described in the Beatitudes. We can spend time with those who are hurting, who are poor, who are persecuted, who need mercy. We can spend time with people like that. This passage says one of the blessings is to see God, those who are pure in heart, see God. This reminds me of a, of a couple of conversations I've had over the last month with one of our volunteers in the Z, Zinesville Food Pantry, which meets here in our church down on the south end of the building on both Thursday evenings and Friday mornings where they serve about 100 clients. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like that much. When you're feeding people and giving them several bags of groceries, it's a lot. It's a pretty amazing thing. She said, if you want to see God, volunteer in the food pantry or volunteer in places where you're helping people, you're coming in contact with people who know that they desperately need God, who they need help. This is a way to see God, as it says in Matthew 5. She actually uses the example of Matthew 25, where Jesus says the people saw him when they actually helped those who were hungry and thirsty, who needed clothes, who were in prison, who needed a place to stay. And if I want to see what Jesus is like, then I need to serve people the way that they served him in that passage. <clears throat> this volunteer said, when you serve, you see your own prejudices. You see where you might label things. She said, you see things about yourself. You see things maybe where you need to change. And you see yourself where you need God in your life as you see other people who need God. She tells a great story about that. She told a story just in this is the last year or two where she was locking up on a Thursday night. It was a Thursday night when the Monday Thursday service was going to be happening in this room before Easter. And she was the last one there, so it was a little bit later, and she was locking everything up. In fact, she had locked everything up. She walked out to her car because she was going to change clothes before she came into the Monday Thursday service. And there was a lady coming up who needed help, who needed groceries. She said her first uh, thought was, we are closed. She didn't say this, but she thought, she wanted to say it. We are closed, you came too late, and I have got to be somewhere. But then she said she felt almost immediately God spoke to her and said, you are going to serve this lady, and you're going to do it with kindness. So she changed her attitude. She greeted the person. She unlocked the pantry, and she took her time, she said, and it took some time to walk this lady through every station of the food pantry and get her what she needed and then get it back to her car. Said she turned out she was late to the Monday Thursday service, uh, but it's one of her favorite stories, and she remembers it much later because in that instant, she felt that God spoke to her and told her she needed to change her attitude, she needed to serve this person in need instead of hurrying up to do what she had planned to do. She goes on to say she's learned from volunteering in the pantry. When you serve people who are hungry, who are hurting, who need Jesus, your faith grows because you see things. You get to be like Jesus to people who are hurting in need. You begin to see people as Jesus would see them. So in a sense, you get to see Jesus. Well, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. We will see God more. We will see Jesus more by spending time with, by listening to people who are made in his image, who are in need, who need his help, who hunger and thirst for God, 
God's kingdom in many ways on earth is an upside down kingdom. It's not about winning and success or power because we see Jesus who wins by serving and triumphs by losing. We can be meek. We can see Jesus when we serve and care for others with meekness and humility and gentleness. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day as we come together as your people and teach us again through Matthew 5, through the Sermon on the Mount, through the Beatitudes, to be your people who are humble and gentle and meek and more like you as we go about our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.